Uh, it's a five. Jess, the topic that your die roll is determined we will discuss is uh, one added relatively recently by Aaron. Do you use pre-made adventures or do you write your own? Mm, nice. Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about running role-playing games. Each episode, our guest rolls on our table of topics and we discuss the results. Uh, my name is Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week we are joined by our special guest, Jess Snyder. Hey everyone, it's great to be here. Hello. Hello. <laughs> welcome back. You were um, an early guest. I was. Way back when. Yes. Do you remember what you discussed with us, <laughs> I think I shared with you the long and rambling story of my first game of D&D, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is always, always interesting and fun. And I think yes. we talked a bit about Session Zeros, too. That sounds about right. And then you added, I think, one of our favorite topics on the table, the, uh, the doors question. <laughs> it still haunts me. Yeah, it, it haunts us too. We had a good half hour discussion about it, I think, and I still like. I'm still like. I've got more thoughts. About it. <laughs> yeah. I think Chris and I had a legit discussion of like, should we start a podcast just for doors mm-hmm. uh, after that episode? Yeah. So. The passageways. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, before we get into our official topic, right? So I, I mentioned this to you before I hit we hit record. Um, so I have a, a personal story that I think is, is kind of relevant to GMing. <laughs> um, so this morning I was very stupidly uh, using a chisel, um, and it slipped and it sliced my finger up quite a bit. <laughs> oh no! So, yeah. So I went to the uh, the the ER, and I'm going to show you this. We have some video over here, oh. and I'll show you the video. Oh no! Uh, and so they gave me some stitches and stuff. So it got me thinking quite a bit about like what it means to take slashing damage. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, so like in, in a D and D style game, what happened to me would have been like maybe a hit point or they might've just been like the GM being like, and you take a small scratch. Right. You know, <laughs> but instead I'm like, like, you know, holding back tears as a, a nice woman is stitching me up this morning. Um, yeah. So just, it, it made me like really start thinking about like, what do we actually mean when we say hit points? <laughs> like what the, what the real world consequences and stuff are of that. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yesterday our friend Murph, who's also been on the show was talking about running blades in the dark. And he said that his players were having trouble sort of wrapping their mind around the concept of like, yeah, if you take damage, you have to like go to a doctor, right? You don't just do like a long rest and get, get all your HP back. <laughs> I was thinking while I was driving the other day about kind of the inherent trauma that we don't really talk about with D&D of like Mm -hmm. being almost killed all the time and taking like extremely painful wounds and really awful, terrible situations Mm -hmm. and magical damage and then being expected to just be fine the next day. I'm like, oh, that's there's some psychological consequences there that we don't really bring to the table. That would be kind of interesting to explore. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because it's like, I mean, what, like... you take like a, you know, you drink a potion of healing or something like that. And then what? That's going to heal your arm? Like, you know, I guess it's magic, right? So whatever. <laughs> so maybe, yeah, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Have either of you guys heard of a paper and pencil RPG called Torchbearer? No. no. It's not officially related, but it feels very inspired by a computer RPG called uh, Darkest Dungeon. Uh, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I think I'm getting that. the name right. Yeah. Yeah. But the the central premise of it is that you are managing your team of adventurers. And while you do go into dungeons and you fight stuff and you take physical damage, um, the big emphasis is on the, the long-term trauma that you 
just piles that compiles and builds over time as you send people over and over into these dangerous um, <laughs> situations. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is something that you don't. It's a real light romp. <laughs> yeah. You know, there are game systems that have, you know, systems for trauma or insanity and, and things along that spectrum from the realistic to very goofy, but they don't tend to really link it to the constant acts of violence that you're experiencing right which yeah. is probably where most of this and experiencing right yeah. yeah i mean which is where probably most of the the real life trauma would come from were you a professional adventurer <laughs> yeah 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 i've been uh the the weekly game that i run um like in game i started doing the math and they've really only been sort of on the road for about a month or so but you know they're level eight at this point so like a lot's happened in that month and i just started thinking like maybe they need a break right like <laughs> <laughs> talk to a therapist you know maybe you know sleep in a couple days unwind <laughs> go to a spa yeah. like take a minute yeah <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me playing a lot of role-playing games in like the late 80s and 90s where there's this whole slew of games that were where the whole premise was basically i'm gonna make D, but i'm gonna fix the like egregiously unrealistic parts of it yeah. and one of the big thing like one of the first things that gets changed is the damage like hit point system because everyone yeah. looks at it and is like this is so unrealistic you know it's so unrealistic that someone with one hit point left is still operating at full capacity um until they hit zero and then they're just out you know and yeah. so you get all these wonderfully often very convoluted slightly more realistic damage systems that are you know not fun in any way to, to play but, <laughs> <laughs> feel a little more yeah. true <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. something in the last session I ran. Um, we don't really have a mechanic for called shots in my game, and I don't know mm. if 5e really has. I think maybe one of the feats has maybe more of a called shot kind of option to it. But, you know, the player was saying, like, oh, you know, I hit, I want to do, I want to go after the wings of this creature. And I was like, oh, I don't, like, yes, of course, we'll play it in game, but I don't really have a mechanic for, yeah, more specific kinds of damage or, like, more specific ways of operating at lower hit point systems. There's not a great way to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you could almost, if you wanted to get tricky with that, you know, assign a hit point value to just the wings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. But then it's like, I don't know. Then it turns into a video game, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. At that point. All right. Well, let's dive into our, to our topic at hand. Thank you. Thank you for uh, that diversion. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so Aaron had asked uh, this really good question, I think, about using pre-made adventures or writing our, you know, writing your own. And I think sort of a subset of writing your own is, you know, do you just improv the whole thing? You know, that's that's sort of an option as well in there. So yeah, maybe let's go around. Like I'll, I'll start, right? So I, I mostly use pre-made adventures, although for one shots and shorter things, I will always write my own. Uh, that's sort of the the time that I use to to write my own stuff. Yes. What about you, Jess? What do you do? Um, historically, I have run mostly pre pre written. Um, the very first RPG I tried to write was based on uh, I think I talked about this a little last time. Garth Nix's Sabriel Lyriel mm. and a Porcelain oh, yeah, yeah. system, mm, and I like yeah. tried to write like a one off about it, but quickly realized the magic system was convoluted. Hit points are hard. Um, <laughs> knowing where things are supposed to be and having a sense of continuity was really took a lot of time um so i've written a couple kind of like you chris um maybe not quite one shots but small little arcs um (laughs) and that's fun for me but i for larger world campaigns i use pre-written what about you andy uh similar to you guys i suppose i am i mostly use pre-written adventures although and i think we can get into this as we explore the topic i i end up 
heavily rewriting them almost to the point where I'm not really sure why I needed, I felt the need to start with a pre-written adventure, but yeah. you know, there's just something about having uh, something to fall back on, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mostly pre-written adventures like you, if it's a one shot or something like that, I'm more likely to, you know, whip something up myself depending on the, the players and the time and stuff like that. Will either of you improv like entire sessions or do you always have to have something pre-written? I get really anxious about the idea mm-hmm. of improving. I have I have friends who that's almost their entire GM style. The the prep doesn't bring them a lot of joy, and so they uh, they'll even do like Mad Lib games or things like that to just determine the session, which I have a lot of respect for. Um, but no, I actually I usually have like my Google Doc, my second <laughs> Google Doc, the adventure guide, like some handwritten notes. Uh, that just helps me feel more comfortable. So if you have all that in place. And this is like the thing that I always wonder about over prepping. It's like, do you give yourself any latitude to go, to go off script then within that? Or are you always going to be like, you know, like wrote it down in the Google Docs, so I really need to stick to that? Yeah, I think, well, that's, I, I think maybe why I love the pre-written adventures, because they do such a good job of creating a world. It's almost like a safety net. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I haven't found too many situations where my players have wanted to do something that I couldn't at least get like a small thread to work with um, and be like, yeah, okay, there's probably, you know, it says there's this kind of temple over here and we'll make a slight adjustment. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, the God you're seeking can be found here. Um, so I guess, yeah, kind of like you, Andy, I do uh, probably a lot of modification on that base, depending on what we're trying to do. Um, but I don't know. I just, I always find it easier to kind of have that substrate to work with. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, and I've definitely felt that too. Yeah, if you can, it answers a lot of questions for you that you probably haven't anticipated. Then later on, you come back, you're like, oh, okay, yes, this is this mm-hmm. is useful because someone's already thought about the geography of this town, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be really useful. Yeah, so Andy, when you say like you rewrite stuff, like how far do you go with that? Are you changing names of everything just to make it look like it's your totally own thing? Or Almost everything is up for grabs, honestly. I feel more stress when I'm complete trying to improvise stuff than I do when I'm running something I've read and uh, can refer to so I don't go out of my way to change stuff but it it just happens and yeah almost nothing can't be changed <laughs> it's a very like nihilistic approach to, <laughs> to yeah. Yeah. when you guys use the pre-written ones how much do you do like I find myself doing like an hour or two of review before I run it, either like the day before or earlier in the day, depending on when. How much how much time do you guys feel like it, it requires of you to become acquainted with the, the section that you're running? It depends on how well it's written. So I'm running Horde of the Dragon Queen right now, mm. and I, I have fallen very out of love of it as we've been going on <laughs> through it. It's just there's these huge you know, travel sections. And that's just not something that like gets me interested at all. You know, so I've just been finding, I've just been like cutting stuff left and right just to sort of get to the next dungeon essentially. Um, but when I have to prep, I'm, it's like a two to one, right? So like if a session's going to be an hour long, I'll probably need about a half an hour, right. To, to prep for it. That's what I should realistically like ideally do, but it rarely happens. So it's sometimes it's like as we are as we are playing, I might, you know, give them something to think about so I can read a page ahead. But I tend to spend a little bit more time than that. I, I usually find a sort of rule of thumb that um I need to spend at least as much time as I anticipate playing, um, pre- mm-hmm. prepping. And hmm. if I can spend more time than that, I will, but that doesn't always happen due to life and things like that. <laughs> 
is that like a hard one rule for you that you have to do that? Like, have you just found that if you don't prep, then the whole session goes terribly? It's because I'm scared that the session will go terribly if I don't mm-hmm. prep. I don't know if I don't know if it's actually true that it would go terribly because, you know, because um, like I said, I'm I'm okay with improvising on the fly. So I don't know. It's I'm, it's probably just a weird hangup of mine. Uh, <laughs> Jess, how would you answer your own question? What sort of prep do you t- do you do? Yeah, I think I'm pretty close to you, Andy. It- it seems to be like a one-to-one type ratio. Um, and I find that's actually where a lot of my modifications often happen. Like I'll be reading ahead the night before. Um, and I had this, I'm running Tombs of Annihilation right now. And my players are of a higher level. They're level six. And um, like you, Chris, the travel portion in the beginning is really written for levels one through five. Um, mm-hmm. And my players have very politely let me know they want encounters to be harder. So I spend a lot of time looking at the monsters as written, trying to find, calculate my CR, getting it harder, finding, you know, trying to roughly get monsters that would potentially be in this area, um, even though I, I don't stick to that too, too terribly closely. So yeah, I kind of, I, I find that it's a one-to-one ratio and that, that allows me the space to kind of customize it or make it a little more interesting. So I want to ask some questions in a few minutes about, you know, what you hope to see when you crack open a pre-written adventure and what you are, what you dread seeing. But one question I have is, uh, what kind of approach to a pre-written adventure do you personally find more workable? Do you prefer when an adventure is a pretty clear plot and that the writing of the adventure is structured around that plot? Or do you prefer that the pre-written adventure is more of like a, a toolbox for the area or the location with adventure seeds and you're expected to do a little bit more of customizing the storylines and, and plots and adventure seeds in it? What do you guys prefer to work with? I definitely prefer a plot heavy heavy focus to it. Um, I don't do well with like, uh, you know, here's five pages of different factions that all have these different NPCs and do what you want with it. I'm like, well, no, like tell me what the through line is, <laughs> right? Like, why are we doing this? You know, what sort of interesting place to explore in that? Um, mostly cause it's like players can't keep that many NPCs in their head and I certainly can't. So it's like, what's the point, right? Like just distill this down to sort of the clear and present danger. Um, yeah. So my vast preference is if I'm looking at something, it's like, Hey, here, here's the maps sort of. And like, here's the plot that gets you from, from this map to sort of the next map is what I really want to see. Cause everything else like that to me is pretty easy to improvise, I guess, like some of those kind of the, the social stuff or the travel, right. We can make it a determination if it's just like, okay, you're there or let's make it, you know, have an encounter or two along the way. Yeah, that's interesting because I kind of take the other approach. I find that if I am GMing a pre-made adventure that is very plot-focused, it is if if and when we go off the plot rails, it's harder for me to get back on them if I really only have one plot that I'm kind of prepared to run, if that makes sense. If I have, on the other hand kind of internalized the region and the factions and things like that in the area, I find it a little bit easier for my brain to recover and, and, um, you know, take advantage of the, of derailing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, oh yeah. It totally makes total sense. Yeah. How about you, Jess? I, um, love the plot as well. Kind of like Chris. Um, I think that like the different criminal factions and politics and religions add a ton of richness to it. 
and I can pull a lot of like little plot hooks and um, I love it when my characters, my players take advantage of those too. Like, I think that's wonderful, um, but they don't interest me. Like I'm not driven to create them. I don't, mm-hmm. not unlike you, Andy, I don't really find myself finding connections or friction with them. So if yeah. those are established and kind of some conflicts are already laid out for me and like the great, the challenge is laid out, um, I find it a lot easier to kind of work my way around and tie everyone into it and make sure that all the players feel like they've got something that their character feels compelled towards. Mm, yeah. Thinking about that, I in the last couple of years, I have learned a lot from reading and running parts of a pre-made campaign for the One Ring. It's called mm. um, it's called the Mirkwood Campaign. I've, uh, mm. The Darkening of Mirkwood. One thing I like about it, and I assume this was a deliberate design choice on their part, although it's possible it just is the way it turned out, is that it's a long campaign. It's intended to last many years of in-game time, and it would probably take you, you know, a year or two of regular playing to to play through it as a group. And the the early parts of it, of this campaign, are very plot-focused, where there's a really clear uh, plot line that you're following. But the farther you get into it, I guess the more it steps back from the plot, because I think it's because the farther you get in, the farther off your players have necessarily like oh, gone neat. off the rails. And so okay. as the it goes on, it steps back a little bit more and starts talking more about these are the factions. And if, if your players have been doing this, then take these things into account, you know? And so you do have to do more work, but it... Um, like there's not that sense that like this camp this pre-written campaign is worthless two thirds of the way in because we are so far off the the beaten path. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting way of approaching it. Yeah, I think I've definitely like even felt that too. <clears throat> you know, like when you take someone take a group from like level one to level five or you know three or something like that. At that point, they have created all sorts of reasons why they're an adventurer. So it's like you know, why would you then kind of keep steering them onto something else that they're not quite interested in if they already have all these other motivations and expectations and stuff? So uh, let me follow up on that and then just ask you guys, do you have, are there some examples of pre-written adventures you've really enjoyed running and do you think you'd be able to articulate what made them really good? Are there any adventures that helped you out by the way they were written or by the way they were designed in the way, in a way like I just described? Um, I'm like I said, I'm running Tombs of Annihilation right now, and it's it has a large hex crawl portion in the I guess beginning middle ish, and it's interesting because the players are there to solve to resolve a death curse, right? To figure out why um, people who have been resurrected are dying, but they don't know they don't know they don't know who they don't know where they don't know how to find information. Um, the city they start in, that information is not there. And I like it because there's a ton, I think there's, you, you have to go find a guide as part of your initial part um, in the in the island of Chult. And it, uh, there's 10, I think, guides that the guide provides hmm. to you and they give you images and a bio and kind of those person's motivations. And all of them could, will potentially lead you to ultimately finding the, the tombs of annihilation that they have to work their way through. Hmm. And I hmm. think that's really neat. It kind of, so it, it starts, so I, I came into this game out of um, Minds of Fandelver. So mm-hmm. they had been playing together for, you know, an adventure. They knew who each other was. 
And so I think because the group was a little more established, it had room for some of that um, fuzziness. Because um, mm-hmm. they still they still don't know where to go next. They just resolved a big boss fight. Uh, they lost a player. They have a guide who's going to help take them, I think, to an oracle next. I'm going to have to read and find out what's next. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been very nebulous. And I told them, I'm like, there's a lot of options. Trust the game. Trust me. We will get you where you, you know, I'm not going to railroad you, but we will, we will get there. You're, you know, the game will continue. We're going to continue in this premise of fun and adventuring. So don't stress too much about making the right choice. See what's interesting. See what goes. Hmm. And this, the game system definitely provides all ample opportunity, I think, for that to happen. Hmm. When you get to that point with the guides, then did you did you are you going to prep all ten of them, or are you going to only give them a subset of the guides? I think I gave them eight of the twelve, um, and then mm-hmm. they proceeded to have like a magical adventuring job interview, which I did, was not prepared for. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so they're quizzing me about my magical qualifications, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I thought you'd just yeah. pick one off the message board, um, yeah. you know, take it down oh, from the tack board. But no, I got to go on a, a magical, yeah, a magical job interview. So. <laughs> that was pretty fun. I think that uh, when given that sort of situation, I mean, you can always just ask, what is the most ridiculous thing that the players are going to make me do? Yeah, I should have known, right? I should have yeah. known. Um, yeah, that's great. So yeah, I picked about eight of them that I thought some of them, I mean, they're just some of them I just didn't think that were interesting or they had, they just didn't fit well with the characters. So it, yeah, mm-hmm. but I gave them, I think, eight choices. All of those had plot hooks and um, various compelling interests that would move them further into the island and provide more information for them. So that's great. I would have given them two. Like <laughs> <laughs> you're a better, better. This G- guy, this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would have given them all twelve, but they, whichever one they picked, would have the personality and uh, story of exactly <laughs> one that I. Picked <laughs> that's tricky. That's funny. That's really funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, something else I find I appreciate in adventures is when it pre-written adventures is when they use kind of layout and design to help me out a bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that means obviously making, you know, putting maps on the same page as the descriptions of the stuff that happens there and, you know, some practical things like that. But I know some companies like Monty Cook Games does this with this new Minera stuff. They make good use of sidebars with like little reminder references about rules from the core book and stuff like that so you know if uh, there's some monster appears that yeah, I'm, I'm making this example up but it has you know a lightning attack the sidebar might say you know see the lightning attack section in the core rule back on page 232 uh or something in games like mothership which has a really neat graphic design i think there's a lot of opportunity that some people are starting to pick up on to use you know, the the design and sometimes the physical design of adventures to make them more usable for GMs, mm-hmm. I guess. So Yeah, I so I uh, my nine to five, I work as a technical writer and mm-hmm. I'm in a master's program for professional writing. And so I actually spend a lot of time thinking about the way the documents are laid out. What information do they present? What order? How what's their nomenclature? How do I how do I organize myself within this text? Right. As a GM. And if I'm printing stuff out or like removing pieces from the book to make it a little easier, more easy to carry around Mm. with me, like how easy is it to do that? And I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that sets apart a well, a good pre-written system from a interesting but poorly designed pre-gen is honestly like the technical and rhetorical layout of that document. Yeah, that's great. We could probably talk about like layout 
that should be a whole question. Yeah, <laughs> but, it could be. Uh, one thing that I like, so Horde of the Dragon Queen, right, which I'm I'm reading, is like not well laid out. So this was it was published at a time where Wizards of the Co- Wizards of the Coast was really pushing sort of this like I don't know this like synergy between like website stuff and book stuff at the same time, but before D and D Beyond and stuff, right? So like there's a whole section of monsters that you have to go download a PDF from their website. And so what ends up happening is, you know, you have to go and print this off. So now you're carrying two documents, right? So now all of a sudden you have two and it's not clear like which enemies are going to be in the PDF versus which are just going to be in the book, which versus which ones are just going to be in the monster manual and, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. So you just run into these issues where like I'm juggling all sorts of different pieces of information, trying to find out which one has, has the thing um, in it. And then same thing, like what you were saying, Andy, with the maps and stuff, the, the descriptions for the rooms are often split, you know, a page or two away. So you're just constantly flipping back and forth and trying to figure out like, you know, where you are, um, you know, in the universe or taking time to redraw it yourself. Right. Like, and then that's like, well, okay, then why do I have the book? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, thinking uh, beyond, you know, layout, but certainly including it. I mean, one of the things that makes, a really good pre-made adventure, I think, is when the author has put some time into like, what is the GM going to have to do that I can save them the trouble? Whether mm-hmm. it's, am I going to make them have to look up like things in a stupid PDF somewhere, you know, then yeah. I should save them the trouble and put those stats here in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably a million little things like that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in it, if you have, if you're able, you know, if it's a really obscure rule, why not just don't expect me to look up the the rule for grappling in the core book if it's complicated. You know, just summarize the rules for me in the adventure. You know, there's probably a lot of little opportunities to just just think like, what is what is the GM going to have to do that I could just eliminate um, with this document? Mm-hmm. I agree. So when you write your own, then Andy, right? So this is your big chance to be the the big publisher and fix all the problems. <laughs> when you're writing your own stuff, I guess what are the sorts of notes and things like that that you you give yourself? Is there like like classifications of notes that you're always writing down? Oh my goodness. Uh, Well, uh, this is going to be an unsatisfying answer. I have been blessed uh, in that I have not written adventures intended for publication or really for use by other people. Yeah. So my, when I write stuff, it's just a hot mess of disorganized (laughs) notes. Yeah. It will be like a crudely sketched map and then labels that mean something to me like for like a week but then if i were to come across it like six months later i would have absolutely no idea what i'm talking about Uh, random numbers and names of spells and you know scrawled in the Mm -hmm. margins that sort of thing i mean but you are asking how might i go about structuring an adventure and that's a great question that um i don't have to think about that for a minute how would (laughs) so you guys talk a little bit about how you would answer that question yeah, so I just finished, so Jess, you actually played in this. I just finished a, like a, a one-shot that was like a two-session thing. So I came up with that whole little adventure, you know, by myself with some direction based on character choices and stuff, stuff like that. Um, but that was pretty fun to do, and what I ended up doing was um, doing a lot of, like, yeah, drawing a couple maps out beforehand and then having the NPCs sort of sorted out. Like, I wanted to have these kind of particular NPCs with these personalities, and then from there, that first session left it pretty open to sort of see what was going to happen. And then the second session, that's when I, I really like kind of sat down and kind of built a dungeon 
around it. And I'll peel back the curtain a little bit, right? So that dungeon had to get edited on the fly um, based on <laughs> some time constraints <laughs> that we ran into. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I had a whole other set piece that had to get cut and, you know, kind of merge things together on the fly, which is sort of the advantage of if you wrote your own thing, it's easier to improv that because it's just sort of, it was all in your head anyway. So you can quickly kind of redo it. Uh, the other thing, and I want to give credit to my daughter, is so like there was one sort of set piece room in that dungeon, and I just asked her like, "Hey, what do, what should castles have?" And she said, "Mirrors. There's got to be mirrors." <laughs> so we had this big like mirrored throne room, which ended up being like a really fun, fun setup uh, for an encounter in there. But yeah, so like approaching writing my own, right? Like you know, steal from whatever you want you know, ask your kids what, what they would add <laughs> to a dungeon, those sorts of things. But then I think like when you're, when you're writing your own stuff, I think like that's where you do have the ability to, um, to allow improv to sneak in. I think even a little bit more than with pre-made stuff, because like if it came from your head, right, you're probably, probably can figure out how to fit another piece into it on the fly. Yeah. Those are some good thoughts. Yeah. I ran a one shot this summer that, oh gosh, it was the, the cover said it was supposed to run for like four four to five hours, right? Mm -hmm. So I blocked off six because I'm like, well, that's never accurate. Yeah. And we were at <laughs> we were at hour six and there was still the final the final big bad. We hadn't even entered mm -hmm. the room. And so I was just like, aha, ta-da, <laughs> there it is because <laughs> I'm tired of doing this. You know, I could tell everyone was kind of, they had to go. They were just, it's six hours is a long time. But yeah, if I had written it, it would have been a lot easier to chop that mm -hmm. around, but... Yeah, you would have had a rough idea of like what what needs to just get removed so you can get to that that final. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I often find that the pre-written adventure is not the document I really want or use at the table. I usually create sort of um, a version of that information that I actually refer to while mm -hmm. I'm GMing. So I will read if it, whatever if it's a, say a, just a 32-page adventure, you know, I will thoroughly read through it, but then I will probably either photocopy or redraw, you know, key maps and make, you know, notes of my own to trigger my, you know, my memory of the read through of the adventure. Y you know, we've all been in games where the GM is like flipping through pages and like, hang on, I've got to look up that detail. And I don't know, I find that most physical um, adventures are not usually all that great to have at the table. Andy, so I have a question for you, right? So you've been, you've been gaming for Let's just say a while. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, are there pre-written adventures that you you come back to quite a bit, kind of in different, you know, like yeah, throughout the different decades and stuff? Or are there any that really stick out to you? Is like, you know, if everybody read this one or ran this one, they would understand GMing better. Or this is like a really classic example of you know something. Oh, that is such a good question. I don't know if I'm gonna have a good answer for you. I definitely have like a list of like my five go-to adventures mm, um mm -hmm. and they tend to be lowish level adventures that and i apologize here i'm just sort of thinking out loud they tend to be low level adventures partly because you know i run most of us run more low stuff at the low levels than at the high levels and a, a good low level adventure you know really if it's well done it will capture so much of what the whole game is about if it's self-consciously an introductory adventure you know there's that pressure and that importance of like communicating just the excitement of what this game is all about so be just because of the times when i have been most heavily running games you know i have a couple of adventures from kind of the old days that i 
could run I would run any time and for anyone mm-hmm. in, in any you know fantasy system and then there's a cluster of of adventures released uh, during the third edition D&D era that I think just really nailed it and are just good examples of adventures and again mm-hmm. it's it's usually because they just embrace the like we've got a we've got one adventure to sell this a whole experience and hobby to potential players so yeah yeah sorry that's probably not the specific answer you were looking for <laughs> um no. uh, if no, i gave you really specific good. adventure things it would be like you know the introductory adventure from like the 1980s middle earth role playing game yeah. rule book you know it would mean nothing to most listeners here but uh, <laughs> i don't know the i do have a cuts. i do have a list of favorites i could i i will pull out but yeah, I mean, I would be interested in seeing that, right? You know, at some point, you know, so maybe you could share that. And, yeah, I'll, not that I'll, we have. I'll like, list out. Yeah, I'll list out a couple of them. Yeah, I'll I'll, yeah. I'll sit down and list them out, and we'll make them available, and maybe we can just quickly read them in a future episode. So I've run the Lost Minds of Fandalver a couple times, and like I really like that adventure. And since I've run it a few times, like it's sort of like I understand it well enough that I could probably just run it, you know, without any prep, right? Like at this point. Um, so I've thought about that, like if that just becomes sort of the thing that I run every couple of years, right, that could be a pretty fun thing to have in the back pocket, right? Like a, a pretty fun adventure just to have prepped and sort of ready to go. Um, but it has, it does make me think it's like, well, I should find a couple more like that, that I just have sort of always mm-hmm. ready, ready. And, um, yeah, for any group that wants to play. Right. So then it's not, not a big deal to get like everything together. It's just like, oh, just show up and we'll, we'll play. Right. Yeah. I would love to have that. I'm still, I, there's some really great um like reddit threads you can search for you know your best your favorite one shots or you know your favorite intro adventures and those are so helpful you know like you said to just have stuff prepared and ready and yeah i got a level three something that'll be great it'll be four hours we can do it that's awesome one of my 2020 goals or i don't know just goals for the future of of playing games is do do much shorter campaigns so rather than these long multi-year campaigns like really aim for Hey, it's going to be two sessions or three sessions, something like that. So people can drop in and out um, quite a bit easier. And then I think too, you you can just try lots of stuff a bit better. Um, I'm not ready to sit down. I think right now and take someone, you know, from level one to 20, you give up lots of opportunities, right? It's kind of an opportunity cost thing to try different adventures and different systems and stuff. Well, I was wondering how often do you guys use a published adventure not to run the actual plot or adventure in it, but to just because you thought it the hey, this looks like it's probably full of interesting encounters or monsters or ideas or NPCs and you repurpose them for something else? Or do you typically only buy an adventure if you plan to run it? I only buy it if I'm going to run it. It's like there's too much free stuff on the Internet and there's too many like random ideas I have in my head to just run stuff that, yeah, I don't think I would, I don't know. I try to not buy stuff that I'm not going to run. Although that's like a total lie, right? Like, yes, but it's, <laughs> we, we know Chris, we know. <laughs> I guess whenever I think about buying stuff, I'm always thinking about like buying physical books, but then you look at like the Dropbox PDFs section <laughs> for my RPG stuff. And like, that's just, <laughs> yes. it's a that's a hundred titles deep. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, again, I, on Reddit found a really, I can't remember the name of the subreddit, but for a while there, mm-hmm. someone was posting an NPC every week. And um, at that point, I was writing a little Feywild murder mystery, a little small arc. And I used, oh, God, I think I used three or four of their NPCs and roped them in because I don't I don't know. That's something I struggle with is making like interesting NPCs and compelling Mm -hmm. NPCs. And so I thought that was perfect. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Great. Motivations build. 
Um, cool name, interesting backstory, fantastic, and was able to take those and just plunk them in. And I think it brought a lot of richness and interest. So, that's yeah, that sounds cool. great. Did you try to modify them at all, or are you just like this is just a hodgepodge of characters, and we'll figure out how they're connected? I think I probably changed the race, uh, race and stuff occasionally, but that just took so much of the unfun. Okay, what's their stat build? What weapons? Like, uh, who are they loyal to? What spells do they have? I don't. I don't know. That doesn't bring me. I don't. I don't find that super interesting. For me, the fun is playing, and much less so mm-hmm. like the crunchy, the crunchy build up. So, they they took all of that out of it for me, and I was like, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's there's that. You know, what does a good pre made adventure do? It does the like boring hard stuff for you and mm-hmm. frees you up to think of the fun stuff, right? Yep. So, yep. Yeah. Stat blocks, absolutely. That's a big one. Yeah, and um, I found I don't do a ton on D and D Beyond, but I have found um, people have created homebrew spells or homebrew items on there that they publish and make publicly available, and they're usually not perfect as written, um, but they're always like a really interesting. They they start you thinking, right? When you are modifying, mm-hmm. kind of like I guess what you we use those published adventures for. Like, hey, here's a cool thing. I don't think I mm-hmm. need this long sword to do that exactly, but uh, I see. You know, let's do this instead. So yeah, that's been a good resource. <laughs> um, so we should we should wrap up our, our conversation. We've been going for a little bit, but um, Jess, I wanted to ask you. So you recently had a player death, and we've talked a bit about this, but I want you to recount sort of the whole thing, because this was your very first player death too, right? It was. You viciously murdered someone for no reason. I did, because <laughs> I'm the meanest. Um, so this was my Tombs of Annihilation game. Um, and like I said, these players had, we've been playing since level one in Minds of Fandelver. And um, the Minds of Fandelver, some people just chose pre-gen characters, so... After mm-hmm. we finished that, between the two, I let them switch things up. Maybe they met a monk on the road that they passed off their inheritance to, and the monk showed up for the, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, yes, this character had been with us in different forms for two or two and a half years out of game. Um, and it was the Firefinger adventure. They chose, the guide they chose had something she wanted out of Firefinger, so they, which is this enormous tower um, in the middle of the jungle that is inhabited by Terra folk. And then it's, you know, it's a mini, it's a upside down dungeon, right? You're climbing up instead of climbing down. And each level has different stuff. And then you get to the top and there's the flying Terra folk um, that you have to defeat to get the mask back for the guide, right? It was super fun. Um, I, I found someone in the area had built a fire finger out of foam board. Um, and I, I found uh, him on a Discord channel and bought that from him, which was great. So I had a it was, six foot tall. It was Aaron, right? Yeah, it was Aaron. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so we're talking about his topic and now talking about him. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I bought a six foot tall foam fire finger and had it on my kitchen table and stuff, which was very fun. Um, <laughs> and it took us, I think, three sessions to get to the top of it. I don't like playing for super wow. long. I really only like to play three hours ish and so we got to the top and part of it so one of the players was picked up um, by a terra folk and then at the top of firefinger there was a magical flame and he was thrown into the magical flame uh, which brought him to zero hit points and then he um, so i thought the flame did 3d6 damage 
It does 10d6 damage. (laughs) It does 3d6 if you stand next to it, if you start your turn within 10 feet of it. So that was me not reading the pre-written guide well enough. (laughs) And so I'm looking. I I probably, in hindsight, I probably should have just rolled 3d6. But, you know, you're in the moment. Mm -hmm. You're juggling 12 different things. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay, it's 10d6. And that that took him into the negatives that exceeded his total hit points. So it took three rounds for him. He was picked up in the, he was grappled in the first round, picked up and dropped in the fire in the second round, and then took all the damage on the third round. So I don't know. It felt, it felt fair in that it had been a couple yeah. session buildup. They knew it was a big fight. They had all, as people, asked me to make the encounters harder. So I was like, okay. Mm. Um, but you feel, because the, the part of the game is that there's no resurrection. So, you know, it's not like we can just bring him back. He's, he's gone, gone. And I feel bad because he's one of those character, one of those people who put a lot of thought into his character and had a lot of really interesting plot points. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm like, ah, shoot, like it's, I'm going to have to think through some new ways to tie these people to this world because he had a lot yeah. and he no longer has a lot. So, yeah. Was, was there a moment when the table, when it sank in that, that, oh my goodness, he, this character could die for reals? So uh, it ended up that everyone, I think there was only one person left on top of the tower by the end of the encounter, which was actually fun. But I had I had six little tea lights set up for each PC, and it was my intention if someone died to blow one out. Um, but he looked so <laughs> sad. <laughs> he looked so sad, and he was being so nice about it. He was being so polite, and I just did not have the heart to like pick it up and like blow it out in his face. Um, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. Cause we, cause he had said like, oh shoot. And we had like talked for a little bit. There's some chatter about death saving roles. Cause we um, haven't really done a ton of those in game yet. So like, oh, what is that? Okay. That's this. Okay. You roll this. Okay. And then the next roll um, was the 10 D six damage that completely wiped Oof. him out. And yeah. some people knew that oh. ro- rule and some people didn't. So it was kind of a staggered moment when oh, yeah. some people were like, well, he's already unconscious. It doesn't matter. And other people <laughs> were like, Oh, oh no! Oh my goodness! Um, so I just took his little mini and handed it to him, and oh, hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you did you demand his player character sheet and then rip it? To <laughs> in front of him? I did not. <laughs> okay. I did not. I felt bad though because his character was a rogue, and I bought him some d sixes with daggers on them for his sneak attack damage, and then oh. I killed him before I could give them to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. It was so. Did fun, you but, did yeah. you decide? Are you right? Because so like in game, right? You you mentioned you know there's a curse, right? So no one can be resurrected. Are they gonna? Are you gonna let them try to resurrect this character, or is they, are they just gone? Good question. Yeah. So my cleric pointed out he flipped, 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 and uh, looked and realized that resurrection, the fifth level spell resurrection, can be done on someone who's been dead within the last ten days. Um, so it's actually worked out interestingly because now they have a motivation now they're like oh if we can end this curse in 10 days we can get our friend back um which there's supposed to be kind of a timetable element to this adventure anyways but it's surrounding an npc they don't really care about so that was yeah. i had not really fleshed that out very much yeah. um oh, that works out quite nicely like yeah that. so now they have 10 days to go tearing through the jungle and try to track down this tomb um and try to resurrect their friend in time so that's so It'll, be fun. That sounds, <laughs> It'll be fun. That sounds like such a great setup. Yeah. I mean, what a good what a good way to handle that too. Uh, yeah. Ugh. So. Well, um, well, congrats on your first Thank kill. you. <laughs> Thank you. It felt yeah. okay, but not great. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for telling us about that. Um, okay. So we need to replace the topic that we've just discussed. Um, so I don't know. Do you have a chance to think about anything that you want to add? <laughs> I would be curious to know, and if you've already done something similar to this, let me know, but how much, in what ways do you guys differentiate your NPCs for your players? Do you do different voices? Do you use um, images like from the ca- the pre-published guide? Like I've, I've printed out the pictures of the NPCs and like distributed them sometimes, which gives them away as a person of interest, but is also, I think, just it's easier for people to connect with that. They're like, oh, we got a visual of this person now. We know, you know, because yeah. I... Uh, I was not a theater kid. I do not like having attention on me. I don't I don't like any of that. So I tend yeah. not to do voices very much. I tend and I worry that makes my NPCs rather flat and uninteresting. So are you a theatrical person who just really like, here we go, we're just going to do all the voices and all the gimmicks? Or <laughs> do you like create mem- memorable characters in other ways? I would want to know. I think that's a fantastic topic. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I'm starting to realize too as our as our topic gets cleared out that more and more GMs are asking NPC questions, which makes me think we just need to have like NPC month. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, seriously. Right. Yeah, or NPC year. Uh, yeah, because that's really good. Because that's something that I, I try to think through a lot too, and probably don't do a great job. But like, this is a great topic to discuss. So yeah. we'll put it on there for sure. And when in doubt, just go with a uh, Mario and Luigi accent. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jess, for coming on. This was super great. Um, we really appreciate your time and your, your wisdom and all that. So, um, yeah. Do you have anything that you want to you want to talk about? I guess any like yeah upcoming things for you or any any games that you're particularly excited about that you just want to be like, everybody needs to go play this? Oh, man. I am. I saw that um, Bully Pulpit Games is releasing Fiasco as a card game, um, which oh, kind neat. of ties back to our discussion about um, the best format for games. And I'm so excited mm-hmm. about that because Fiasco is one of my favorite games. It was one of the early role-playing games I played, and it is so mm. poorly suited to a handbook. Um, yes. It is so poorly <laughs> suited. And so I am so excited for the cards. So if you like horrible games about horrible people who end up in terrible places, check out <laughs> Fiasco because it's a great time. That's great. Yeah, Matt Wilson used that as a, a session zero hmm. for a Trail of Cthulhu. <laughs> That's fantastic. It was oh my word. A super great way to do it, right? It got us immediately sort of all connected as a group and lots of bad stuff happened. And fantastic. All that. But, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, again, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. And this has been Roll for Topic. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. 